Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 23rd, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good friends over at the Fan-Sided Podcasting Network and the good folks over at RisingApple.com. Welcome again to another edition of the program. Uh, I think we have a good one because if you are a loyal listener to the show every year on this very Sunday, the week before the Baseball Hall of Fame, the BBWAA makes their announcement of who will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, I know we had the Veterans Committee and we've done a ton of talk about Gil Hodges and 
obviously Keith Hernandez and his number being retired. And leading up to that, because of Gil Hodges, we got into a lot of Hall of Fame talk, but we haven't done our official show. And and anybody who listens all the time knows that I really enjoy doing this this program. I give you my ballot. I don't have a vote. I probably will never have a vote. They're not going to let somebody like me in. That's crazy. Why would they do that? This humble little uh, radio host. But um, I like to play, uh, you know, some pretend uh, Hall of Fame votings, and and it's and it's fun. And joining me is a friend of the show. He'll be joining me in just a little bit. Uh, you guys probably know him. I'm sure you definitely know him. He's on Baseball Night in New York. Uh, Dan Grassa. You also can check him out over at Mad Dog Radio. And uh, Sirius XM's MLB Network Radio. He also does a ton of stuff for 9870 SPN and the Jets. But most importantly, if you listen to the MLB Radio Network, you hear Dan on there. And uh, who better to come on than somebody who's on the network? Uh, they did a, a nice job, the MLB Network. Now we have, what are we on, day 52, 53 of the lockout? I don't know. I'm losing track here, but... With no end in sight of that, and like I said, how many times could you break down starting pitching, trade possibilities, trading Jeff McNeil, and all the other things we do talking about the Mets? You know, MLB Network Radio has it even worse because they're trying to talk about the whole sport. The sport is locked out, and nobody wants to tune in every day and listen to arbitration and Super 2 and, and all this other legalese. So what they did is they went and dedicated a day to everybody on the Hall of Fame ballot, whether you were Jimmy Rollins or David Ortiz or Justin Morneau, they dedicated a day, and and Dan will talk about that. And I just think they do a nice job over there. It, it's really good, uh, easy listening, and uh, I constantly have it on in my car, and, and I think you can learn a thing or two. So, But um, how do we start off here? And, and, and by the way, we will get a little bit of Mets stuff with Dan. I'll, I'm curious as to... His thoughts on McNeil and and another name that came up, Josh Hader, that maybe the Mets will look to trade. We'll see. I mean, it's it's all speculation right now, but mainly Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame vote. So, uh, how am I going to break this down? Because this gets kind of sticky. You got ten candidates you could select up to. You have all these steroid guys. Then you have the guys in the bubble. Then you have the guys that you don't select, but people think should make it. So it gets you could go zig and you could zag and you could go all different sorts of ways. So. How I'm going to do it, and I'll probably break it up a little bit, take a little break, is first I'll break down the steroid guys. Then I'll put guys that are, you know, who I'll put in, and, and maybe there's some debate to them. Because I think all the steroid guys, with the exception of maybe one, but I think all of them are no-brainer Hall of Famers. I mean, I'm going to tell you that up, up front, and I'll get to that. And then there are a few guys who I looked at numbers that surprised me a little bit. So... Uh, we'll do that. How is my criteria? I've said it before, but I'll do it again. Clearly, total accumulation of numbers is important. Did they have a dominant period? I've been looking a lot at that. How do they stack up against their peers during an era or at that position? And then historic moments and awards. And I will tell you, as much as I'm not a all-in analytics guy, advanced stats, I think when it comes to the Hall of Fame, Using war and another, uh, it's basically measures the clutch performance of a player, WPA. And I was listening a little bit about how the guys on the, the radio network, MLB radio network, were incorporating that. I think that that's one I'm going to start to look at a little bit more because it's it's taking leverage situations and associating the player's win shares to those leverage situations. And when they get those big outs, they mean a little bit more than in a 10 nothing game. So 
Um, you know, where do I see this going? I guess we could really just start there. And, and if you're not following him on Twitter, you should be. And I say this every year. At not Mr. Tibbs, Ryan Thibodeau, basically Ryan for years, probably well over a decade, on Twitter has been going out, collecting either anonymously or ballots that are made public, all the writers who put their ballots out there. And he tries to get a feel before the announcement where these guys stand. Right now, it looks like they have about 45% of the vote. And you could pretty much see that the only player that I see right now that's going to get elected is David Ortiz. And that's a well-deserved election. I know that the DH, and I don't really think it's like it used to be. I mean, you have Edgar Martinez, who paved the way. Hal Baines is in there in the Hall of Fame. But it used to be, well, it's a DH. It's just an offensive pl- uh, player. There, there's, there's, there's no two-way. Here's a guy that, if you look at his win shares, even with negative win shares on defense, he still, as an offensive player, overall, without any defense, has more win shares than really well-rounded two-way players like Gary Carter, Yogi Berra, Hall of Famers at premium positions. He's got the over 500 home runs. His OPS plus is in the top 100. And look, who else would you go to in the last 15 to 20 years? What better historic moments are there than the 2004 Red Sox? And I think Big Pompey, who hit basically all the way out the door to the very last day he hit, hit at a high level. He probably could have played another year or two. So, you know, he went out on top, and there's there's something to be said for that. But the reaction to the city, how he helped, and I don't want to say heal, because when there's a tragedy like the Boston Marathon bombing, there's only so much a sports figure can do, but how he kind of stood at the forefront and tried to bring some positive vibes to a city that was reeling in a terrible situation, I think really put the cherry on top of his career. So I don't think there'll be any debate. He's right now at about 84%, of the vote. Typically, when the uh, full ballots are released, that number goes down. So you've got to be in a good spot. Uh, I don't think he'll he'll be uh, going away, but I think he'll be in a good spot where he'll he'll clear it by three or four points, be elected. And I think he's the only one that's going to be elected because the two more controversial names, which are Bonds and Clemens, who right now are just above the 75% threshold, and they're the only other two above the 75% threshold, have only gained a couple of votes. They need well more than that based on last year's numbers. Uh, with half the ballot that probably is not on the internet, that probably hates steroids, that probably wants to punish these two guys. I just don't see them happening, and and both are on their last year. So quite honestly, they're going to become the Veterans Committee's problem. And I, I, what, three years, four years, five years down the road, that will be fascinating because now it's your peers, uh, others in the game, executives, but also their peers, depending on, I know Ozzie Smith and Fergie Jenkins and guys like that have been on the panel before on the Vets Committee, but we'll see when these guys come up what their situation is. Look, when you have, and I'll just start with all the steroid guys, and I'll get it out of the way, because I'm not going to spend an hour here talking about steroids and whether these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. You know by now, um, there's nothing wrong with looking at off the field, like I said, historic moments, awards. When we talked about Gil Hodges, some of the things he did as a person, how he was uh, uh, lauded as an individual going over and and serving in the Korean War. Um, 
There were so many things that Gil Hodges did as a person that made him a Hall of Famer. I mean, you don't want to ding him for that, like we said, you know, many, many weeks ago. But I also don't feel that it's my place to start to judge people's integrity because you could take that Hall of Fame and really blow it up many different ways. And when we get to Kurt Schilling later, that's really the poster child of integrity because what is integrity for one is not for another. Let's put it that way. But look, you have the guys, the obvious guys, Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, and Sammy Sosa. And out of all those steroids guys, the only one that I don't see as a Hall of Famer is Sosa. And you ask why. Well, he had the home run chase. He had that period where he was basically hitting 60 home runs every year. Outside of that 98 to 2001, 2002, which was a great period, and never there was no testing. Who knows what he was taking or what he was doing. But... And you got caught with a cork bat. He really didn't do anything else overly well as a Hall of Famer throughout his career outside of that period. He had a lot of home runs. And he walked at that point because they were pitching around him. And he single-handedly, really, from an offensive standpoint, and the energy he brought, brought the Cubs to the wild card game in 98. Again, a week, the last week of the season, the Mets kind of handed it to them. I mean, you guys were around. You guys probably remember it. I do. I was in some of those those Expos games there at the end of the year at, at, at City Field, Shea Stadium, where they let a bad Expos team come in and sweep them. But other than that period, he didn't do a lot of other things well. When you look at Bonds, when you look at Clemens, when you look at A-Rod, when you look at Manny Ramirez, you want to slice those players in a demarcation line with a team before they did steroids when you suspect after. They're Hall of Famers without the steroids. And in some cases, actually every case, they may be better players. Look at Bonds. Bonds in Pittsburgh, 25 homers, over 30 stolen bases, one gold gloves, great defensively. He could have been as easily as a middle-of-the-order hitter that he was. He could have been Ricky Henderson. That's Bonds from 86. And then if you want to go Bonds from 86 to 97, you want to say 98 is when he started to go down that dark path. He was a 30-30 guy every year, a 162 OPS+. plus. That's through age 33. Very long career at that point. So if he had stopped at that point, he had 374 homers, over 400 stolen bases, a 959 OPS, which would have been a top 20 goal time, seven gold gloves, and three MVPs. And I will tell you, Bonds pre-1998 was a better player. Post-1998, he was a video game. You couldn't get him out. He would never swing at anything that wasn't a strike. He hit all those home runs, 400 and whatever home runs after. He was a big guy, but he wasn't a great defensive player. He's basically a DH play in the outfield. And I thought he was a better player before. So I can't ding Barry Bonds. That's why I think he's a Hall of Famer. Roger Clemens, same thing. I mean, he's third all-time in war, second in WPA. He's one of the second most clutch pitchers. Do you realize between Clemens and Maddox, we saw the two most clutch pitchers all-time in one generation? In Boston, he averaged 15 wins a year. He had three Cy Young awards. He had an MVP. You know how hard it is for a starting pitcher to win an MVP like he did in 86? Struck out 2,500 batters, 100 complete games, top 15 at that point, overall, Boston Clemens is top 15 in clutch performance. If he just stopped in Boston, that's a Hall of Famer. I'm sorry. You want to throw Toronto out, the Yankees out, Houston out? That's a Hall of Famer. A-Rod, I know he's not going to get in. We heard Bob Clappish last week on the program say he's going to probably punish him for five or six years. That's Bob's prerogative. I think a lot will do that because of all the craziness of uh, the, the lawsuits and going on WFAN and the lying and the chaos he brought to the Yankees. But A-Rod in Seattle, which was a short span of time, seven years, 
was a 40-40 guy at shortstop. Led the league in batting average. Here's a guy that, as a young player, and we don't know when he got involved in Texas with steroids. And I don't think A-Rod's career is a product of steroids. Maybe there's some accumulation of numbers as he got older. I mean, he broke down. He easily could have had. He would have he had 700 home runs if he didn't break down. And he didn't get suspended. That suspension killed him that one year he lost. He could have easily had another 50 home runs. An A-Rod that was old and gimpy, bad hips, would, you know, would hit 15, 20, 25 home runs easily, even without performance-enhancing drugs. But the A-Rod that signed with Texas, the guy that the Mets thought was going to be their next star that they were going to team up with Piazza until the, the price got too high. That was a 40-40 guy at shortstop who could also lead the league in batting average. That's a triple crown guy. That's a Hall of Famer. And Manny Ramirez, Mets history could be a lot different if Manny Ramirez was acquired by Omar Minaya. And I know he tried after 2004 when they were tired of his antics in Boston after the World Series, and then they tried to trade Lasting's Millage. If you imagine, could you imagine if they were able to pull off the Lasting's Millage for Manny Ramirez trade that was rumored at the deadline in 2005? Manny Ramirez, Wright, Reyes. And I don't know how hard they tried to get him in 08. But the Dodgers got him. Imagine if they had been able to import Manny Ramirez. I mean, of course, the Mets history is different. We did a what-if show a couple weeks back. We didn't talk about Manny. But there's a guy with an OPS to shade under 1,000 for his career. 335 against left-handers. Top 20 in runs uh, batted in. Over 500 home runs. He's an elite right-handed bat. All these guys are Hall of Famers. And you'll hear when I talk to Dan in a little bit. The thing about the Hall of Fame, really, if you want to do it the strictest way possible, you look at a player and say, that's a Hall of Famer right away. You don't have to go and dive into some of the things that, when we come back, I have to do with a Schilling or a Roland or a Kent or a Sheffield. But all these guys, and maybe even Sosa, and I'll debate that one, but I won't kill you because of the historic nature of his three- or four-year period. They're Hall of Famers. You're not going to really need to look at baseball reference. So my ballot starts off with Ortiz, Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, five. Half of my ballot's filled out, and they're all steroids guys, so kill me, have at it, do what you think is best. But um, I don't think there's a lot of arguing the performance outside of the integrity. And I, I just don't think any of these guys, and, and Greg Maddox, and I'll leave you with this before I take a break. Greg Maddox was on a podcast with David Cohen, and it's to- called Towing the Slab. And if you're not listening to it, subscribe to it, check it out. And Maddox basically said, similar to what I said, and what I've been saying for years, if you've been listening, you look at some guys, and without steroids, would they have been Hall of Famers? No. But these guys, and he didn't mention any names, but these guys, that is not the case. I feel pretty confident saying that. Curious what you think. Mike Solat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G, send me your thoughts. All right, let's take a quick break. Who else is on my ballot? Will there be some Mets connections? Will I fill out all 10? That and more. You'll find it out right after this. Schilling's cleats are in the Hall of Fame and the story of the bloody sock in the museum itself. Will Kurt Schilling get into the Hall of Fame? He's very close. Only 20 votes shy as of last year. 20 votes shy of the 75%. Performance only? He's probably worthy. Let's do a little digging in on the career of Kurt Schilling. Schilling debuted on the ballot at 39% and then fell to 29% year two. This was when he was still calling Sunday Night Baseball and didn't have the social media controversy he now has. 
Riders might not have liked his 216 career wins, but in 2001, when he led the Diamondbacks to a World Series title, he went 22 and 6. In 2004, when he led the Red Sox to a World Series title, he was 21 and 6. He was a pivotal player on those teams. They absolutely do not win championships without Kurt Schilling. And he had gaudy win-loss totals, if you like that sort of thing. He also pitched, though not as significantly, on the 2007 World Series title team in Boston. Three World Series titles spread across seven seasons. And he wasn't just along for the ride. He was quantifiably one of the best postseason pitchers in history. 133-plus innings with a 2.23 ERA. 120 strikeouts in those 133 innings. And just 25 walks. Schilling was hurt in various points in his career, which keeps his overall totals a bit low. But when he was healthy, he was a horse. In five different seasons, he was top five in the league in innings pitched seven times going over 220 innings. It was in these big seasons where he led his teams to four pennants. So let's bottom line it. Here are the best pitchers in the game since World War II. Best ERA plus. That's adjusted for the run scoring environment and park adjusted as well. Among retired pitchers with at least 2,500 innings, Schilling is in the top 10. Pedro, Clemens, Randy Johnson, Whitey Ford, Greg Maddox, Roy Halladay, and then Kurt Schilling. Schilling is tied with Tom Seaver and Bob Gibson. Fewer innings, definitely. It's not close, but still, Schilling's run prevention is all-time great. Performance only, I think Kurt Schilling is a Hall of Famer. But the writers have to make a judgment call. And if you're thinking writers shouldn't make judgment calls, they've been making judgment calls now for years, especially in the PED era. Um, they now have the power, have been given the power, whether or not to grant a particular player baseball's highest honor. They've been making that call for years with players suspected of using steroids. They can make that call now with Kurt Schilling and what he says in his social media stance. All right, we're back. So who else is on my Hall of Fame ballot? And I'll tell you what. We'll start with the poster child for what I think is ironic. A lot of, you know, fake outrage against him. And that's Kurt Schilling. So Kurt Schilling's number six on my ballot. Now, how he's talked about lynching reporters and his battle with the media, he's probably, not probably, he has handled it very poorly. I think it's beyond ridiculous that writers take someone's political leanings or who they voted for for president and anywhere near factor it in to their vote because... I mean, really, when it comes to politics, for the most part, with the maybe 99-point-something percent of the time, where there's that small smattering of, I think, obvious and overt bad, is there really any right or wrong? Do you want to go through the voting of every Hall of Famer back to beginning of time and see who they voted for, see what their positions were on integration. I mean, you'd be really surprised, I think, and outraged in some cases. So I never understood the shilling thing other than he's not really a likable guy when it comes down to, and I'll say from the sense of, he doesn't care what you think. And he said it. He basically said it. You don't want to put me in? Don't put me in. He is not going to sit back and validate himself professionally or personally based on the BBWAA. I think he eventually gets in on the Veterans Committee. I mean, he's lost over 20 votes. He's not getting in. Not on. Not with the writers. I mean, the writers, it, you know, the calling of the lynching and all that stuff, I believe it was, 
was bad, but that's not why he's not going to get in. It's because he he's supported a, a president that they don't like. Period. End of the story. They don't care. The whole and that's probably the one thing he said about lynching or hanging or whatever it was. I don't. I'm not even going to look it up. I don't care. It was just stupid. That should be that you would think would be the reason, but no. I mean, on Thibodeau's ballot, he's at 61 percent. He's not going to come anywhere near close. Now, I think he was getting close. I think he was about 15, 16 votes short, and he might have gotten there. And this is his last year. So he's going to go to the Vets Committee, and he'll get in. I'm more confident in Schilling than Bonds and Clemens. Now, Schilling, I never was sure. I always was on the fence with him because at the beginning when I, I heard his name, ah, there's the bloody sock, there's the Red Sox bias, 2004. But when you look at my criteria, he had an awesome career especially from 97 to 2005. He was a top five clutch pitcher. He was a top five pitcher in that era, period. He won nearly 64% of the time, 140 wins. He had the Arizona moment, which sometimes gets overlooked because of the bloody sock and the 04 Red Sox. Uh, he should get in. He's a better pitcher than I thought. And he was and he was good in Philadelphia. He took, you know, he took a, a few years early in his career to find his way, but he was a really good pitcher in Philadelphia at a time in the late 90s. And, and the next guy I talk about falls into this category because he was on that team, and I think because they were bad, they get overlooked. But Schilling's a Hall of Famer. Look at the numbers, 320-game win se- seasons. And he and Randy Johnson carried, literally dragged the D-backs to a title in 2001. Really. Is really the Yankees. I mean, yeah, there was that ninth inning and, and, and what happened there, but the Yankees had that series in the four peak. They had it. Now, the next guy, I think, certainly doesn't get a... Oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer when you hear his name, but Scott Rowland I have on my ballot. Now, I think there are positions like first base and third base, I've said this about Keith Hernandez, that are so underrepresented. Second base. I mean, really, the Hall of Fame, when you start to look at it, is filled with pitchers and outfielders. I mean, you start to look at some of these other positions. You got eight, nine, ten. You know, and I usually do the eighty twenty rule. Eighty percent of the game, their career played at a position on Baseball Reference. But here's a guy that I was shocked. He won eight Gold Gloves, seventh all time in third baseman for wins above replacement. He's better than half the Hall of Fame third baseman in terms of win shares over there. He's not flashy, but sneaky good. And I think he got hurt by playing for that bad Phillies team in that market. And then he went to St. Louis, and he was a really good player in the shadow of Albert Pujols and the Cardinals. I mean, remember, the Andy Chavez catch, you know who hit that ball was Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland could have been the hero of that Game 7 if that catch doesn't happen. So I have Scott Rowland. I believe he's a Hall of Famer. I think eventually this will get more traction. I could see Rowland being the kind of guy... And right now, he's um, five years on the ballot. He's got another five years. He's at 70, 69.9 right now. He's going to get in. I wouldn't be surprised. within. The, I think it happens within the next two years. It may happen next year. I'd have to d- dive deeper into the ballot to see who's going to be coming up. But uh, as, uh, as time goes on, I just can't see him not getting in. And that'd be well-deserved for sure. Now, the next two guys, which bring me up to... Uh, let's see. So there's Ortiz, Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez. That's one, two, three, four, five. Schilling is six. Roland is seven. I have two more. So I'm not filling out all ten. I have two more. Now this guy has a Mets connection. And when you, when I say his name, you're going to cringe. But 
Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer. Now, I know defensively he played other positions. He played a little third base. He played second most of his career, even played first base. But depending on how you look at it, he's the second most in homers and third most in RBIs for second baseman, second to, you know, top five in OPS. I think it's second overall. Uh, again, I use those who played 80% of their games playing second base. Yes, his defense was lacking, but he is under, the position is underrepresented. And here's a guy that the Mets probably gave up a year too early, went to Cleveland for Carlos Biagra, didn't hit there. And when you think about it, the Giants traded Matt Williams, who was a very popular player, to the Indians. It worked out for the Indians. They got to the World Series the next year. But Kent morphed at that point into a player that, you know, just drove in runs. He was a guy good for 25 to 30 home runs and 120 RBIs at the position. And he wasn't a total clunker. He wasn't a total clunker there. He's a Hall of Famer. Now, you may not like him because, as Mets fans, you're not going to like him because of him not performing and he was a bit arrogant here. And I know he wasn't the most friendly guy with the media. And that that goes double for the next guy I'm going to bring up, who has a loose Mets connection. Kind of a what-if connection for the most part. But I put Jeff Kennett. And then finally, my final notch, and this guy to me, is every bit the hitter. I mean, you could argue he's every bit the hitter that Manny Ramirez was. Uh, last last spot is for Gary Sheffield. Now, he played for a lot of teams, played a bunch of positions. I know that everybody hates the story in Milwaukee where he was tanking games and throwing the ball away because he didn't want to play there. And he, he didn't really come into his own until he started getting healthy. I mean, a good year in San Diego. Then he went to Miami. And it was about 1996, 1997, he started to come into his own. And for, I'll tell you what, a five- or six-year period, he absolutely was right there with the elite hitters like Bonds and and Manny Ramirez and whatnot. He hit over 500 home runs for his career, hit it as a Met at the end of his career in a part-time role. Uh, He's a run producer, top 30 all-time. I mean, look, from 96 to 2005, 332 home runs, 303 batting average, 969 OPS, OPS plus a 154. And here's the crazy part, and I know it was a different era. He walked more than he struck out. I mean, think about that. He was an elite offensive player. Now, he took the cream at some point, so he's got a little bit of that steroid connection. I don't know about that. Um, But if you remember, Similar to Manny Ramirez and what if the Mets were going after Sheffield for a while. When the Marlins were having their fire sale, I believe Sheffield was one of the names they were going after. Kevin Brown as well. They just never could make it happen. They wound up taking Dennis Cook and Al Leiter, so they got some good pieces. And then a couple of years later, the Dodgers were looking to trade him. I think it was after the 2000 season when they didn't get A-Rod. But the Dodgers then were, I think, were looking for Edgardo Alfonso. The Mets weren't going to do that. So for for a while, they were trying to pair Piazza with Sheffield, and even before Piazza, they were trying to bring in Sheffield as like their offensive cog. It just never happened, so it was interesting. So that's my final ballot. Uh, again, I'd love to hear from you guys, Mike Silvat, TalkAmetsPodcast.com, no G. Ortiz, who I think will get in. Nobody else will get in this year. Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, Kurt Schilling, Scott Rowland, Jeff Kent, and Gary Sheffield. So there's some names that are missing. I know one that has a major Mets connection. I'll talk about that more, and then we'll get to Dan Grassa right after this. You know what? Before we get to my guy, Billy Wags, I played with him with the yeah. Mets. True story, real quick. I come up to my guy, yo, some of my boys told me, and they shouldn't have told me, I said, but, you know, you tipping your pitches. He goes, yeah. 
Well, tell him to hit it. <laughs> Whoa! I'm like, I'm like, y'all want you on my squad, bro. Like, that's the dude you was talking yeah. about with Billy Wags every day. Hit, hit it. If yeah. I'm tipping, hit it. All right, so before we get to Dan Grasso, let me just uh, get into who I left off, because there's probably a couple of names that you're wondering about. Um, I never felt, I'll, I'll make this quick, because the real name I think you're probably wondering is Billy Wagner because of the dominance at the position, the peripheral stats, connection to the Mets and everything. So you already know I didn't vote for Sosa, and I wouldn't vote for Sosa, and it had nothing to do with steroids. I just don't think he was as really a great player outside of a, a burst there for a short period of time. Uh, Todd Helton, here's the deal. I'm not going to get deep into it. You know I ding the Colorado guys. 855 OPS on the road uh, and uh, uh, OPS over 1,000 uh, at home or, or thereabouts. Big difference. I know he had a decent glove. I just don't, I can't vote for these Colorado guys. They were just too good at home. It skewed their numbers. I was uh, against Larry Walker. I could swallow Larry Walker, but the rest of these guys, I mean, even an Andres Galarraga who played in Colorado for a while, uh, I think it was uh, a different type of enhancement. Not, nothing negative in terms of their, they played where they played, but that version of Colorado, now it's been normalized a little bit with the humidor. So maybe I'll change my stance, but forget those 90s guys, Colorado, turn of the century, no way. That was a crazy place at that time. Uh, Omar Vizquel. Now, the funny part about Omar Vizquel, and I won't even get into the off the field uh, stuff that's pretty much knocked him out with some of the horrible things that have come out allegedly against him. And I don't know what the status is there, so I'll say allegedly because it's not really important in terms of uh, what the conversation is. Uh, But really, when you take away the whole uh, off-the-field thing, Omar Vizquel is Ozzie Smith without the backflips. Now, Ozzie Smith had the big postseason moment. Ozzie Smith had... Uh, was with the Cardinals team that's iconic, that was uh, three pennants and a World Series. And he pro- and just like Keith Hernandez, I think you could probably say he was a generational player at the position. But if you want to get granular, Omar Vizquel had more hits than Ozzie Smith. They were very similar in terms of breakdown in, in their offense. I mean, Omar Vizquel had gold gloves as well. Uh, but... Not having that historic moment, World Series trophy, that panache. I never thought when I was watching Omar Vizquel. Now, he was an elite defender. I watch him in person, even at the end of his career in San Francisco, elite defender. No doubt about it. But I didn't think I was watching a Hall of Famer. Not, not at all. I thought it was a really good component player on a really good offensive Cleveland team. He was the glue in the middle of the infield. And then I know that Maddox, on that same podcast with Cohn, talked about how he thinks Andrew Jones was a great defender and defend, uh, at Hall of Famer, and he was a great defender. And he tells a story about a game at, at Shea Stadium where I think Brian McRae went and made this all-out crazy catch, a, a, a highlight real play that night. And then an inning or two later, Andrew Jones went to the same spot that McRae just tumbled all out to make a play and made it look routine. Andrew Jones was an elite Hall of Fame defender. And he was obnoxious because the way he was so good, he would go out there and nonchalant a lot. I think he even hurt him in the 2000 postseason in St. Louis. I think he dropped the fly ball in the sun because of that. But, yeah, he had periods as he developed as a hitter where he'd hit you 30 home runs and he you know, had a little bit of speed. 
I just think he's a little bit short. I think he is the kind of guy, and I know they say he's Willie Mays without being Willie Mays. Well, Willie Mays was an elite offensive player. I think when you start to talk about Andrew Jones, that's the hall of very good. It really is. And I think he's getting some support. And I did look, next year's ballot, I mean, the real newbie that's coming on that's going to generate conversation debate is Carlos Beltran. I'm not going to get into that now. That'll be a big topic of conversation. But right now, Andrew Jones is at a little under 50% of the vote. And as you have these 90s guys clear out and, and, and you see not many going on the ballot that are Hall of Famers, he's got a shot. That's the crazy part. He's got a shot. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I will not support it. But he's got a shot because of that. Because as the, there is a feeling. I, I think there's a, a, a belief that people have to fill out their ballots. You don't. You can only vote for one guy. Just be honest. Vote for the players. And if there's more than 10, then you have to have a cutoff. And that stinks. But that's what it is. Now, the final guy, and I don't think there's really anybody else that I need to really talk about with you. I mean, the Phillies guys, uh, like Ryan Howard, do you really want me to get into why he's not a Hall of Famer? I mean, really? Uh, Do I really need to get into that? Prince Fielder? Justin Morneau? I mean, I'll tell you the one name that was a little bit better than I expected, was Torrey Hunter. Not that I'd vote for him for the Hall of Fame. And even Mark Teixeira. I think if Mark Teixeira had stayed, uh, the kind of hitter he was in Atlanta and Texas, where with the Yankees he became more of a pull-dominant 250 home run hitter, might have had a chance, but he had a decent career. But again, I fall into Hall of Very Good. Now, Billy Wagner. Uh, yeah, Billy Wagner has great peripheral stats, uh, uh, a whip under one for his career, uh, a crazy strikeout rate. Had that dominant final year in Atlanta. And I'll tell you what. He was not a Hall of Fame closer with the Mets. He was a sweaty closer. Most Mets closers dating all the way back to Jesse Orozco have been sweaty. John Franco, Randy Myers, Armando Benitez, Braden Looper, Wagner. Obviously, Jury's Familia. Frankie Rodriguez. You know the deal. You know the drill. And I'm not dinging him for what happened in the 2006 postseason because it wasn't his fault. Although game two with Sotokuchi, that turned that whole series around. But there was a lot more to that than just Billy Wagner in that series. And they don't get there without him because that was an Achilles heel of the team the prior year was the bullpen, specifically the ninth inning. But despite all the dominance, I just think if you're a reliever, and this is where I'm going to kind of play small hall, when you're a reliever and you go one inning and you have a counting stat like the save, which not all things are created equal. Maybe you need to start looking at different types of saves. Maybe WPA and clutch starts to come into the equation. I didn't really break that down because I just don't think he's a Hall of Famer. There's not much you can tell me to change my mind. I didn't really think Trevor Hoffman was a Hall of Famer. I mean, right now, you got guys like Goose Gossage who redefined the position, multi-inning reliever. Uh, Mariano Rivera, who basically is the poster child for Hall of Famer. Maybe maybe that's not fair. He's Babe Ruth of, of relievers, of closers. But you got to say relievers because relievers at some point get in. Billy Wagner, to me, just doesn't have that moment. I mean, he's got an ERA over 10 in the postseason. I mean, think about that. You know, He has a postseason run in him with Houston or the Mets or anybody. Maybe I think differently. And this is not a knock. I like Billy Wagner, and I I tell this to to his face. And I know he thinks he's a Hall of Famer. And I know there are a lot, especially those who are analytically inclined, 
that want him to be in the Hall of Fame. I just can't vote for him. I can't vote for him if I had a vote. Now, he's another one like Andrew Jones, and I think Scott Rowland is the one in the best position. That's at 50% of the vote. So um, he's got a shot. He really does as the ballot thins out. But I go over the rest. I mean, you know, Andy Pettit. And Andy Pettit is an interesting. I mean, he's getting very little support. Andy Pettit's the kind of guy that I think will fare better on a Veterans Committee vote than he would. I mean, great pickoff move. But he's a guy that wasn't dominant. I mean, he, he was a competitor. He was, gr- he was a grinder. He was a guy that gave up more hits than innings. So I, I can't you know, get into him. There's really nobody else I really want to get into here. Joe Nathan, Tim Lincecum. Two good years, Tim Lincecum. So that's my ballot. That's where I'm standing. Billy Wagner, to me, just, you gotta be, you gotta have that historic moment as a closer and a real dominant run uh, in conjunction. And he just, he's more of a numbers guy. He doesn't feel like a Hall of Famer. And I watched him. And maybe because his arm was bad in New York, because he had the Tommy John surgery at the end, and he was having issues even as early as 06. I remember they were already starting to shoot him up a quarter zone. So I don't think he was really ever healthy as a Matt. That's my guess. And then he had that. He walked away on top with that great year at the age of 38 to be with his family. Great guy. I mean, I've heard him talk. I mean, stand-up guy, stand-up clubhouse guy. But uh, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Dan Grasso, what does he think about my ballot? Can he add something to it? That more right after this. All right, let's move uh, the discussion and talk about the Hall of Fame. Of course, the announcements. Uh, set for next week. You can see our coverage Tuesday, 4 o'clock Eastern, right here on the network. Here is the Hall of Fame tracker. Remember, you need 75% for induction. Uh, Joel, your takeaways here from the names on this list and their percentages. Yeah, you know, the history is these numbers are higher than they're going to come in when the full ballots come in. So I think the only guy who's got a real shot here is David Ortiz, okay. and I think it's going to be real close, razor thin. You one expect way or the these other. percentages to yep. go down. Yes. Okay. But the one thing I will also keep in mind is there are six guys at 57% or, or, or higher, and Andrew Jones and Billy Wagner are right on the cusp there of 50%. In most elections, you get 50%, you get in. Right. You're elected. It is very hard to get to 75% of anything in any conversation. So it's just a sign that if this was simply a majority, we'd have multiple people going into the Hall of Fame this year. At 75%, we might have none. Yeah. Mm. Cliff, you're very familiar with a lot of those names. Yeah, I've seen them all. Um, um, Watched them catch a few of my balls out that so far. (laughs) You know, but I think the biggest thing is I'm a little shocked at the top three names. I am. As a former player that's heard so much speculation, I think speculation... Uh, should be put in the category of, well, you know what, it's all, that's what it is. It's opinion, it's speculation on guys doing it and, and what you see with your own two eyes and what you feel. Uh, I don't get a chance to vote. So I, as I see this, Joe, for me, it's more of, okay, we turn over new leaf. These guys are now getting opportunities with the younger eyes on them to say, you know what, we think your numbers were great before you decide to do whatever you decide to do. And, and it is speculation what you did because you've never been right. tested, you know, you never tested positive with case and be so. As we move forward, man, um, I like I, I just wish Andrew Jones, Scott Rollins, these names that I've seen play for a long time and I yeah. felt did the right way uh, deserve a lot more. And change. you can add Billy Wagner. And Billy Wagner, I, I, I play with him. Last season uh, or last year, Joel voted for Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling. Joel, you're going to reveal your ballot 
next week. So we'll on Tuesday we have a show. That's you right. Come join us on that TV. That's show right. If you really Tuesday, want to I'll be watching. four o'clock Eastern, right here on the network. Who will make up the class of 2022? Or as Joel suggested, maybe there is no one that gets the call from the hall. Joining me, friend of the show, it's been a while since we've had him on, but you guys probably know him. Baseball Night in New York, Mad Dog Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82, 987 ESPN. He also does some Jets radio, God bless his soul. Dan Grassa. Dan, look, what other town can there be bad basketball going on? Who really wants to deal with hockey right now? Football was over by Columbus Day, as you know, covering the Jets. We could talk some baseball and Hall of Fame despite the lockout. So welcome in. How are you? Uh, Mike, thanks for having me. Things are good. Um, yeah, let's kind of hope we have a baseball season that starts on time. It's, um, I mean, it's late January. You know, normally we're still a few weeks away from pitchers and catchers. We're not at that, like, drop dead, let's be nervous time yet. But I'd say, like, the clock is ticking, if you know what I mean. Sure. I mean, look, March Madness may mask it a little bit, but that's like a couple of weeks. If you don't have any baseball in March and they're still talking about arbitration and service time, uh, I don't know. You're going to get some really angry callers to uh, Mad Dog Radio. Although that's more of a football. That's more of a football uh, station, isn't it? Is that fair to say? I'm not knocking it. Yeah, probably. But I mean, I I do the shows on MLB Network Radio, too. So, I mean, obviously, that's 24-7 baseball, and that's eaten up a lot of our time here in the offseason, that and the Hall of Fame stuff. But, you know, the the thing that we keep reminding the fans and that, you know, fans should remember as far as if you're looking at a timeline with this whole thing, players don't get paid until the regular season. Yep. So, you know, when when they're kind of looking at the calendar is saying, okay, what do I have to do or when am I going to start to actually feel the brunt of not getting a paycheck? It's opening day, which is March 31st. So that would be the one that, of course, they don't want to have to sacrifice in any way, shape, or form. And the owners lose money in spring training, so they don't care. And let's face it, Dan, uh, spring training is probably a little bit too long. It's, it's more long. for the pitchers than the hitters. So, you know, we will hope. But look, uh, this is the time of the year. I do it every year, the Hall of Fame ballot. I don't have a ballot. Uh, so whatever I say means absolutely nothing. I don't know if they've allowed you into the club yet, but we can Not do our yet. fake ballots. Um, I break it down like this total accumulation of numbers. Did they have a dominant period? How these guys stack up against their peers in an error or position. And then there's of course the intangibles, the historic moments and whatnot. So I'll throw you my ballot and I broke it down. You have the steroid guys, you have the guys that you're debating and then maybe those that are left out, but we all know David Ortiz will be elected based on what we've seen publicly. And I have him Barry Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod. I have no problem with putting those guys in. Manny Ramirez, Kurt Schilling, Scott Rowland, Jeff Kent, and Gary Sheffield. So curious, uh, any surprises from a, a top-line perspective with the Mike Silva ballot there? Well, the first question I would have for you is, how do you differentiate, I guess you don't differentiate, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez to the other so-called steroid guys? Because those guys failed tests. I'm going to give you what Greg Maddox, and I don't know if you heard what he said earlier this week on David Cohen's podcast, where you look at some of these steroid guys. And if you're not a person that's in the camp where they're, you know, whether they failed or were accused of failing and you knock them out, 
look at their careers and say, okay, with or without steroids, were they a Hall of Famer? I mean, if you look at Bonds, you slice Bonds, Pittsburgh Bonds, that's a guy that was a 30-30 guy. You could make the argument that Bonds pre-steroids of 98 was the demarcation line, was a better player. He won gold gloves. He actually played defense. He right. wasn't a, a plotting outfielder. I mean, Boston, Roger Clemens, I mean, average 15 wins a year, three Cy Young awards. You know, A-Rod, you could say maybe if it's just the Seattle years, maybe it was a little too soon. But how many shortstops steal 40 bases, hit 40 home runs, and can lead the league in batting average? And then Manny Ramirez, I think you'd, you'd agree, is probably maybe the best right-handed hitter of our generation. The only reason I don't have Sosa in there is because outside of a couple of years, steroids or not, Sosa wasn't really an elite player. He was a really uh, an offensive-minded outfielder who didn't play defense on a bad Cubs team. So I look at it kind of like, can we slice these guys up with when we think they were clean? And uh, I think they all kind of hit the the muster, at least for me. I'm curious what your thoughts are. It's hard because we don't know, right? And that's like the time-honored discussion about, okay, if they were using PEDs, when did it start? You know, when can we track their performance upheaval or from a certain point? It's so difficult to differentiate there. I, I will say this, though. Like you, you rattled off a number of names. My, my pro, I mean, I have a lot of problems with the Hall of Fame and the way that the whole process is done. And I've talked about this a lot on air. First of all, I think that 10 is too many. That's the first thing that they need to change. I, I, I think that having 10 votes is way too much because I look at this ballot. I don't know if there's 10 Hall of Famers on the ballot. I'm, I'm, I'm a very hard marker. I believe that when you talk about the Hall of Fame, it's the best of the best. It's the 1%. It should be hard to get in. And I know you've heard the expression probably in the past that I think that over the years, we've maybe turned it into the Hall of Very Good with some of the guys, right? With some of the guys that are being, and this is Veterans Committee and all this other stuff. But like the more and more people we let in, it's like we're we're kind of lowering the criteria. So I, I do believe that you should be a hard grader when it comes to these things. So I don't know. And, and there's a lot of writers in the ballot and the guys that decide to make it public and to, you know, tweet their ballots out and all these other things. I see a lot of them checking off about 10 names. And, I, and I'm sure. like, really? Like, you, 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 nobody puts a gun to your head. You don't have to check off all 10. So I have a problem with that. Number two. And, and you see this not just with the Hall of Fame. I think you see this with awards, accolades, honors in all of the sports. Let's face it. It's a popularity contest more than anything else. It is a popularity contest. If, if the, 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 the player was cordial and he gave the writer some time over the years, he didn't spurn him. He didn't treat him in a negative way. He wasn't a jerk. More often than not, if you, put, if you got the numbers to back it up, you're going to get a check mark into the Hall of Fame. I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples. Step outside of baseball for a second. Think about the controversy from a few weeks back with Hub Arkish and Aaron Rodgers, where Hub Arkish, the writer from Chicago, a football writer who has a whole of uh, an MVP vote, he says, I'm not voting for Aaron Rodgers this year because I can't vote for a jerk to be the MVP. Okay. Right there, you just played yourself. Sure. You basically said that it's essentially a popularity contest and what you think Absolutely. of him as a person. It's got nothing to do with him as a football player in the season that he's had, which has been a phenomenal season. So that happens way too much, even when you're talking about the Hall of Fame, because I'll give you a couple of examples with that too. Why is a guy like Jeff Kent, who is the best power hitting second baseman in the history of the sport, Mike, the sure. history of the Se- sport, uh, second or third most home runs, depending on how you look at it, third most RBIs, uh, second most OPS, not a good defensive player. Who would have thunk in the David Cohn trade, the one Hall of Famer was the guy exactly that, that's traded away, right? But how, I, like, I mean, look at some of the second basemen that are in the Hall of Fame, Ryan Sandberg. Mm-hmm. 
Craig sure. Bijou. I mean, Craig Bijou had 3,000 hits. Okay. Ryan Sandberg, Craig Bijou. If you were, um, you know, if you had one at bat for your life, you know, with, with runners in scoring position with two outs, you want prime Jeff Ken or prime Craig Biggio up at the plate. You know what I mean? Yep. So, Easy so, answer. And he gets no support. I think he's like bottomed out somewhere in 30% or topped out there. Why? Because Jeff Kent was salty with the media and he wasn't exactly the most cordial and writers remember that and they haven't given them support. The guy I go back to who isn't even on the ballot anymore, which is an absolute joke. You, you remember, of course, look at, go back and, and, and look at Albert Bell's run with sure. the Cleveland Indians. Maybe How the, the hell. Yeah. Right. I How said Manny Ramirez is the best right-handed hitter of our generation. Maybe I should take that back. Maybe it was Albert Bell. But, but think about that. How is Albert Bell with the run that he had over a, you know, a 10 year period? How was he right. off the ballot after one year? Because he was a horrible dude to the media. And, and I'll tell you, that Dan, against them. Uh, I listened to him on the Brett Boom podcast. And if you haven't done that yet, it's a two-parter. Uh, I found them erudite. I found them to be a very smart hitter. Uh, I, I was engaged for two parts of the two-hour interview. Uh, never covered him. Never had a conversation. And uh, look, you've been in locker rooms. I'm sure you you cover multiple sports. Uh, not easy for the writers. I don't want to you know knock them, uh, but not easy when you come in after doing a day's work and you hear the same thing over and over again. So sometimes I think you're right. It is a popularity contest. And guess what? The guy that's the poster child for that is Kurt Schilling. Because think about how soured everyone has gotten on him. He's lost. If this if this ballot from Ryan Thibodeau over at uh, uh, Twitter, he's lost 23 votes. And a lot of that has to do with his politics, maybe all of it. He said some odd things about lynching media members, which probably should have thought twice before saying that. Um, And I was always on the fence with him. Was it the bloody sock? Was it Red Sox bias? But when you look at him from 1997 to 2005, he's a top five pitcher, whether you look at wins above replacement, clutch performance, you know, he won 64% of the time. You know, he's top 20 when you start breaking him down with advanced metrics. Many pitchers, his equivalent, are in the Hall of Fame. Guy like Tom Glavin, Catfish Hunter. He's not going to make it because his politics don't align with a lot of the members of the media. And he said a jerky thing. Um, I think he's the poster child for it. And he doesn't care. He's basically said, I don't care. I don't believe that. And, and I guess you're right. You know, at what point does this change and Maybe it's with the changing of the media, but, you know, the younger generation hasn't shown an aptitude to be forgiving either at times when it comes to off the field stuff. No. And look, he's done himself no favors, but this is again, where you have to draw the line. You know, first of all, I I understand, you know, the politics, it's a divisive thing in our country, especially now I get it. You know, you know, we're not immune to this type of thing, but we're supposed to be evaluating Kurt Schilling as a baseball player for the hall of fame, all that other stuff and all the, you know, the personality shortcomings of even all of these players that should be immune from what they did on the field. And Kurt Schilling, look, I understand that maybe his regular season resume uh, pales in comparison to maybe some other pitchers, but he was a dominant postseason pitcher. There are very few that you could think of, you know, certainly in our lifetime that you would rather have pitched the big game than Kurt Schilling. And I understand, you know, like that's also, the debate you have about a pitcher or a baseball player, for example, with the Hall of Fame, how much do you balance postseason versus regular season? The overwhelming majority of a guy's career is going to be what they did in the regular season. And that's what it should be weighed on. Not everybody is fortunate enough to be on a winning team to go to the playoffs repeatedly. So it's it's unfair to judge one guy's postseason versus another when they may have just been in a better situation, better organization, had more cracks at the can, if you will. But Schilling, I think there's a good balance. Okay, the postseason stuff speaks for itself. 
And you look at him in the regular season. I mean, the guy was a, a, a three-time 20-game winner. Um, you know, he was, what, he had three runner-ups in the Cy Young Award. You know, he was a pretty darn good regular season pitcher as well. Now, there's precedent for Kurt Schilling in the fact that a guy who pitched in the, sim, in the same era as him, who's in the Hall of Fame, as of a couple of years ago, that's Mike Mussina. Yep. If I had, if, if, if you know, Mike, if I had one game to win for my life, those two guys at their peak, and obviously seeing both of their careers from start to finish, I'm taking Kurt Schilling over Mike Mussina. So if Mike Mussina's in the Hall of Fame, you have to put Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame based on baseball. And I think you make a great point here where I've struggled with this because, look, we're at a point now, I'm in my mid-40s, that I watch these guys. Now, I was young, and when you're right, 15 and 16, yeah, we're getting old. We're old. Bob Klappish was on the show last week. He said, don't tell me you're old when, you know, Bob has been doing this since the early 80s, mid-80s. that's the reality. Now all these yeah. guys that are on the ballot, like, we've seen their entire careers. Right. And we were young in some cases, and maybe the analysis, and, and certainly I didn't have access to all the numbers that, as I'm, as I'm talking to you, I have, you know, at the tip of a finger, I could get, you know, clutch performance, WPA and war and all this stuff. But, like, Scott Rowland. I never would have said Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer, top of my head. I agree. But you look at the eight gold gloves, seventh all time in, in wins above replacement at third base, and how underrepresented first base, third base, second base, shortstop. I mean, the Hall of Fame is basically pitchers and outfielders. When you really look at it, pitchers and outfielders, every other position, there's this, what you said, criteria at the top of the top of the top. And I'm saying to myself, you know, and, 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 you know with, with guys mm-hmm. like Harold Baines getting in, uh, you know, obviously I'm biased. I would love to see Keith Hernandez get into not just the Mets Hall of Fame and retired number, but the actual Hall of Fame. Um, you know, these other positions, if we're going to start to and this is the real debate precedent, it's almost like once you have this guy in, how can you let this one, this one and this one not be? And I know that that's not how this goes because there's that, you know, intangible. But that's where I'm going now. You know, how can you keep Scott rolling out? The numbers are there. Maybe the market played into it. Right. My eyes and my gut says no, but then maybe that's not fair to Scott Rowland when you think about it. Well, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here, but my criteria for a Hall of Fame, among other things, is this. If I ask you, all right, let's use Scott Rowland as an example. If I ask you, is Scott Rowland a Hall of Famer? If your answer back to me is not yes, or if it's, ooh, sure. you know what? I got to think about that for a second. Then he's not a Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Because like if you, as I said, it should be the one percenters, the elite of the elite, the best to ever do it. You shouldn't have to stop and think about it. That's what a Hall of Famer is. And Scott Rowland, because we had on MLB radio, like we did this thing for a, what was it? A three, four week period, a ballot breakdown where each day the channel took one candidate on the ballot and spent the entire day on all the shows, like talking about his candidacy and his career. One of the days I, you know, was on, we had Scott Rowland. So Mm-hmm. Scott Rowland was another guy, as you said, my life watching him as a baseball player. Did I think back then I was watching a Hall of Famer? Honest to God, the answer is no. I never I thought I was looking at an all star, a very good player, but I never thought I was watching a Hall of Famer. Scott Rowland would hold him back. And maybe the reason why he hasn't gotten in until this point, his last eight years of his career, he only averaged about 100 games or maybe a little over because he was hurt. But. He went through a period, the first eight years of his career, you know, his first full eight seasons, he had the third highest war behind only Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez during those nobody first eight would, years. And nobody would know that. Nope. And nobody would know that. Nope. Nobody would Not know at that. all. And well, on that, and you're right, 
that's the initial reaction. So on this ballot, who falls into that? And you tell me if I'm right on this. Just cold, hey, Mike, Hall of Famer. Ortiz does. Bonds does. I'm taking steroids out, of course. Mm-hmm. Clemens, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez. That's it. I can't say that about Schilling, even though he has definitely the chops. Uh, I can't say it about Roland, Kent, Sheffield. Uh, none of those guys. And I haven't even gotten to the guys that I left off that some people are very adamant. Guys like Billy Wagner, Todd Elton. Well, Andrew Jones is getting a lot of love. Omar Vizquel uh, off the field having some issues. Um, no, even cool. Sammy Sosa. Even Sammy Sosa as his fans. Uh, as much as I think that is a hard one, not because of steroids, because you just it's a weird career. But those are the guys. That's it. The steroid guys are the only ones. And I could take a point and say, Mike, Barry Bonds Hall of Famer, 1992, to that point. I think the answer is, yeah. I mean, he was, a again, I go back to what I said earlier, better player in Pittsburgh early years of San Fran than steroid Barry Bonds. And a lot of these guys, Dan, were better players before they took steroids. They didn't have as good a numbers. They were better overall players. That's the crazy part about it. Well, because the sport became a video game. That's what it was, you know, Mm -hmm. with all these guys. And the numbers just became out of this world. And it was just an assault on the record books more than anything else. But you know, Wagner's another guy. Roland's going to get in eventually. Okay, he's trending in that direction. He's going to get in. Wagner, I think, is going to get in. And Wagner is also a guy, like, he came on our channel and said, you know, unless a writer comes up to me and says, I'm not voting for you other than, you know, non-baseball reasons or whatever, then there's no way, based on the numbers, I shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And I agree with him. Now, relievers are very underrepresented, as you said. You know, you think about relief pitchers and base there's only eight of them there's only eight in the hall of fame when you talk about closers and billy wagner the thing that hurts him i think and doesn't jump off the page or at least hasn't up until this point is because of his workload his workload is lighter than any hall of fame relief pitcher any guy who's in the hall of fame he's only like got 900 innings pitched now remember billy wagner played in an era where the closer pitched an inning you know, it wasn't like, you know, Bruce Souter and Raleigh Fingers back in the day pitching two, three innings at a time to get the, you know, six out or nine out saves. But I'm going to tell you something. If you look at those 900 innings and you break it down just for what he laid out there and how dominant a pitcher he was, compare Billy Wagner's numbers to Trevor Hoffman. All right. ERA plus, you know, ERA plus is adjusted ERA. It's supposed to factor in the error in which you play the ballparks and those sort of things. The higher number is the best. Mariano Rivera's like ERA plus is like the highest. It's the, you know, number one, it's like 200 something. It's like, you know, whatever. I don't have it off the top of my head. Billy Wagner's is 187. You know what Trevor Hoffman's is? It's 141. Billy Wagner's numbers in terms of, you know, strikeouts per nine innings, that sort of thing, whip, they blow Trevor Hoffman's out of the water. And I was never the biggest Trevor Hoffman fan. All right. He was almost just like, somebody that they tried to drum up in the national league, be like the dominant closer. That's what Trevor Hoffman was, you know, and he played a long time in San Diego and blah, blah, blah in a big spot. I never trusted him, but if you're putting Trevor Hoffman in the hall of fame, and I know that he pitched a lot longer than Wagner, you know, he's got um, like 1100 innings. So almost, you know, 200 more than Wagner. But if you break it down just in terms of pure dominance, Wagner was a more dominant pitcher than Trevor Hoffman was. And I think more people are maybe getting schooled on that. And that's why I think in the next few years, you might see Wagner eventually get in. He's the greatest left-handed closer of all time. I think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. That's uh, 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 the reliever is actually where it really gets interesting because I'll just say, hey, look, the ERA of over 10 in the postseason. And look, I watch Billy Wagner as a Met. Very good closer. 
not dominant. But I, to be fair, so so he hurt his arm. He hurt his arm. Yeah, so Taguchi. I was at that game. Yeah. Cold night. I was at that game. That changed um, the series. Changed the series. That that game two is where they really lost the series. It's a whole nother show you can do. But one thing people have to remember. His arm was really never right as a Met. And he had Tommy John surgery, I believe, at the end, uh, right before uh, uh, he had gotten traded. And he came back. He had a dominant year with Atlanta. So maybe even injuries yeah, played into that. How about that? How about that? His last year with Atlanta? You have the numbers yep. in front of you? When yeah, he was 1.43. He was 38 yeah. years old, 1.43 ERA, 37 saves, uh, almost 15, 14 strikeouts per nine. Dominant, dominant, dominant. And that's how he picture. walks out the door. And that's and he, how he, he could have played. He could have played more and he wanted to go home to be with his family. I think what relievers we have to evolve similar to how we had to evolve with the designated hitter. It was always can't vote for him. And look, big poppy offensive player, his war. If you believe in that stat and it doesn't really matter if you do, or you don't, it's the same criteria for everybody, whether it's baseball reference fan graphs offensively, he's more valuable than a guy like Yogi Berra or Gary Carter, who had a more complete career on mm-hmm. both sides of the ball because his offense was so good. So with relievers, maybe you're right. Maybe we have to look at it less about saves and counting numbers and more about total domination. And that's where the eyes and living through it come into play, where you and I could do this for Billy Wagner 25 years from now, if we're still doing this and God help you, if you're still doing this and I'm still doing this, because there's something wrong with us. We're still talking about this, right? Uh, Somebody's going to say, I never saw Billy Wagner play. So they're just going to go by the numbers, just like you and I have to go by the numbers with uh, you know, and to a certain degree, anybody from the 60s, you know, depending on uh, how late their career, like I like Jim Rice. I didn't see enough about Jim Rice to really understand him. Uh, and what, by happens- the way, speaking of Jim Rice, MLB Network over the last couple of days, they did one of those like blind ballot comparisons. Mm-hmm. They put two two guys career statistics next to each other. One right. guy's in the Hall of Fame. One guy's in the ballot. And then they revealed who it was. Jeff Kent and Jim Rice. Now, Jim Rice had to wait a long time. Jim Rice, right. like it took him forever to get in, but he finally got in. Jim Rice, another guy, a little surly with the media. That probably held sure. him back for a long time. Jim Rice, and they were different positions, of course. Jim Rice's numbers, extremely comparable with Jeff Kent. Extremely. And then I could do the same thing. And again, I'm going to take the off the field. I know he did some horrible things off the field. Uh, uh, and I don't know what the status is of that. But, you know, Omar Vizquel is pretty much Ozzy Smith without the backflips in the World Series trophies. More hits. I never, I never thought of, uh, Omar But Vizquel I don't think he's a Hall, Hall of Famer. Famer. No, I never did. I don't. He's, he's I just don't. a good glove. Right. And, exactly. and maybe, maybe that was Ozzie Smith. Maybe Ozzie Smith, like you said, and I know this might drive people nuts. Again, watched Ozzie later in his career as a member of the Cardinals post 86, um, where he was on the, this, the down slope. Maybe that's who he was. And we just, because he does. Yeah, but Ozzie play. Smith was, you know, a World Series winner, big yep. home runs, you know, think sure. about the one against the Dodgers, yep. you know. Go crazy, folks. You need some of those moments. Vizquel didn't have those moments. I'll tell you this right now. And, you know, we're a few days away from learning the the ballot. I think at most we're only getting one guy in this year, and that's Ortiz. Only one. Because, because you you know, you mentioned where things are tracking right now. There's about, what, 45% of the ballots that are public, you know, on the the Mr. Tibbs. Historically, the guys that don't vote for the steroid ones, the ones who don't vote for Bonds, Clemens, those are the ones who don't make the ballot public. So in years past, you know, wherever Bonds and Clemens, for example, were at in the, in the public portion of it, they always get a significant drop off once the ultimate ballot is revealed because the ones who don't check their names never go public with it. So if Bonds and Clemens right now are just a hair over 75, which they are, 
that number is going to drop because they're not getting any support from the ballots we don't know of yet. I'm curious because I wasn't, uh, I didn't, I did hear some of the, you know, the channel on MLB Network, the days they went through all the Hall of Famers. And I thought, you know, which guy on the ballot, doesn't mean I'm going to vote for him because I'm not, mm-hmm. had a better career after I looked at him and maybe a period of, I don't want to say dominance, but high level play. And everybody brings up Bobby Abreu and Bobby Abreu was in a money ball guy before we talk money ball with the walks and everything, but he was a criticized player for low energy, bad defense in the alpha. The joke used to be, he was afraid of the right field wall in citizens bank park. Uh, and that's how the Yankees got him from the Phillies. But here's a guy uh, I'm curious that I looked at and he was a little bit better than I give him credit for Tory Hunter. I mean, obviously the first thing I think of with Tory Hunter is the glove. Yep. Um, but 30 see, home Tor- runs. Here's the oh. thing. Tory Hunter, are you going to sit there? Like, for, like you mentioned Andrew Jones. Like, to me, Andrew Jones just falls a little bit short. I and agree. he was arguably as good a defensive center fielder as we've seen, you know, or not, that I've seen. He, he, was, he was like a vacuum cleaner out there. Yep. But to me, Andrew Jones just comes up a little bit short. So when I think of Tory Hunter, same thing. I still don't put him defense. I mean, he's like a hair below. Maybe he was like Andrew Jones light, you know, like the American League version of of the gold glove Mm -hmm. center fielder. And he was great. Don't get me wrong. So if I don't think Andrew Jones is in the Hall of Fame, I think Torrey Hunter again comes in just a a hair below and Andrew Jones. I can't argue with you. We're on the same page there. Hey, a couple more things before we wrap up. So off season, I mean, this is this is tough talking baseball. After the Hall of Fame, it's going to get real tough. God bless you guys on the network because you're going to be – nobody wants to hear about service time every day for the next 30 days. But um, the Mets, you know, um, this is a Mets show. So before this whole thing got shut down, a lot of optimism. You know, the roster still needs some tweaking. We hear all sorts of things trading uh, uh, Jeff McNeil. I'm not really crazy about hearing that. You know, the speculation, could the Mets get Josh Hader? Um, Luis Castillo. I think the only way to improve the staff in a meaningful way would be to do a trade. And uh, I'm not so much sure I want to trade Jeff McNeil. There's obviously some prospects they could trade at the top of their system. That's dangerous. What does Dan Grasso, what would you like to see done if you were GM of the Mets coming out of the lockout? Let's assume the lockout ends February 1st. How would you like to proceed with the remaining, uh, you know, frenzy that will happen mm-hmm. before spring training? Well, from your lips to God's ears, February 1st or what I mean, you know, that ain't happening, but that's not pretend, happening by but... wish. Um, well, first, first thing with McNeil, a couple of, as of a couple of years ago, I loved McNeil, loved McNeil, thought that this was, you know, a, a find. This is a guy who was going to be a hit machine for you for years mm-hmm. to come. Last couple of years have been rough. And then last year it just boiled over. And obviously he and Lindor don't exist well together. You know, they could, you know, smile and hug when the cameras are on and all that stuff and say everything is fine and dandy. You heard a lot more stuff since the season ended about how they just did not get along. Um, McNeil was very stubborn, apparently, in the field when it came to, you know, the, the shifts and his positioning and so on and so forth to where you wonder if those two can coexist. And not that I'm the biggest Lindor fan in the world, which I'm not, but you know he's not going anywhere. He ain't going anywhere. You know, they made I don't think you, you can't trade him. You no, can't trade him if you wanted to. He's yeah. untra- it, it, it might be the, the worst contract in baseball right now. One of. unless, But he's still young, so he's got a chance to turn it around. But Here's almost- the lesson, Dan. You never get married before you date. Of course not. That's what happened. I mean, that was, it was foolish. They it didn't even foolish. go out for a cup of coffee. Lindor even- the Mets. 
even go out for a cup of coffee. They just sign the, the, the not even a was... not even a virtual meet and greet. Not Nothing. Even, not you know even what I mean? Zoom date. There you go. But hey, you know, you hold out hope. If if, if the Mariners <laughs> found somebody dumb enough to take the Cano contract off their hands, sure. which you know, ironically, was the Mets. Um, right. You know, maybe there's hope. But no, I I, I think. Here's the other thing, too, about, you know, where you're going to find a home for McNeil. You know, the the Cano return, since he's got all that money still on his contract, that's still an albatross, unfortunately. You hope there's a universal DH, which I think there will be. So that alleviates a little bit of that. The problem is, all right, you want to say, let's stick McNeil to third base for the time being. Okay, maybe, but you have Eduardo Escobar. I think that they don't want to get a long-term solution necessarily at that position because you got Brett Beatty, who's going to be here hopefully pretty soon and you know man that position for a decade you hope i'm in the camp though where you know i i might be in the minority i'm still a big chris bryant guy and i would not close the door on that steve cohen obviously doesn't mind spending all of his money and you know what god bless him chris yeah. bryant's somebody i think that could help this team because he's got positional versatility you could put him in third you could put him at first you could put him in, at, at the corner outfields the guy serves a multitude of roles he is a um, a nice right-handed bat, which I think could benefit this lineup here. Now, does McNeil have value? Maybe. You know, a, a team might think that he a change of scenery could benefit him. What they so you do. would trade him for Josh Hader if that was an option? Oh my God, I would. I would drive him to Milwaukee myself wow. and let him. Sit the in the Hader front concerns seat. me with and, the and, and closer. He, just you get him, and then they just they they they. It's like what's the? It's like milk. What's the expiration date? Right. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Well, look, I'm, here's the bottom line. I'm not an Edwin Diaz fan in any way, shape, or form. They, so, you know, Hader becomes your closer. Um, he hasn't had any significant arm trouble yet, which is a good sign. But that might be in the offing sooner rather than later because all pitchers, they just go. Yep. You know that. They're, they're bound sure. to go, especially the hard throwers. But mm-hmm. Hader's the best reliever in baseball. I, I would bring him here in a heartbeat. They do need help in that department, though. As you said, what do they still have to do? Let's not forget. And, and I know he's not, you know, a huge name. Aaron Loop was arguably their best pitcher last year for the full season, not starter reliever, their best pitcher. He was that good. Yep. Now he's in Anaheim. They got to replace that. The bullpen to me, when I look at it on paper right now, it's a little shaky. It's It's underwhelming. It's underwhelming. Even Lugo Lugo to me had a disappointing year. I've never been a Castro fan. Um, I I think they'll be able to go out and improve. And, and, and obviously look, uh, well, they don't have a lefty in the pen right now. They have no lefty in the pen. Nope. And I'm lefty, and I could guarantee you I can't get anybody out if they, if they bring me to camp. I could tell you that. They can't get anybody out. When are you going to be on Baseball Night in New York again? Well, you, you, we like seeing you. You get the nice suit on. on. I was just on this week, a couple of you nights on ago. This week. Who, who was the tan? It was you, Wrecker, uh, it was Martino. Me, Wrecker, Sweeney, and right. Sal. And you- Eamon, Eamon was hosting. I got to tell you, I do radio. I could never feel comfortable getting my mug on TV. And then they look at what books. Here's the best part I do. Anytime somebody does a baseball night in New York, I like to see what books are on their bookshelf. And the question is, are the books real or do they pick the books out for TV? Right. That's always been my thing. What I don't, books I don't do we books. see on your shelf? I don't, I don't do the book. You? No, I do. I, I have a nice setup um, in my living room where I have a nice, like, comfy, propped up couch, which gives me some nice support <laughs> on the bottom. So there it's like I sit there and I feel like I'm in my own element. <laughs> I have some nice artwork behind me. You know, it's what I'm waiting for convenient. someone's dog or cat to jump in there. That's what I'm waiting for. Someone's dog or cat. This whole Zoom thing is interesting because. Oh. 
that you, you're kind of melding the live TV and professional studio with home. And it hasn't happened yet. So maybe we've, we haven't had that moment. That We've all that gotten tick- lazy. We've all gotten yep. lazy with the Zoom thing. And I understand sure. it's great, you know, technology yep. wise. But I think um, I'm kind of zoomed out, if you know what I mean. Yep. I think we I don't are. blame you. What do you got coming up before I let you? What do you got coming up? Uh, well, I mean, like you said, you know, the fact that we're in the off season for the football, uh, I, I char- recharge the batteries for that. You know, Jets will be busy with the off season, of course, you know, free agency in the draft. So eventually we'll get that started up again. Um, you know, checking in with the guys in form park, but just doing the talk shows, you know, the baseball, the mad dog stuff and, you know, popping on SNY every once in a while. Uh, that'll, that'll keep me busy for the next few months until the next part of the calendar arrives, which will be here before you know it, you know? Well, you were very generous with your time on a week, and I kept you a lot longer than I promised. I appreciate it. Let's do this again, and uh, you know, be well. And I'm looking forward to see. I'm going to be watching your background next time you're on Baseball Night. I, I yep, appreciate that, and 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 more importantly, uh, <laughs> let's hope there's an actual normal season that we can talk about the next time that starts on time. You think I'll leave you with this? You think it's? I think the regular season starts on time. I think spring training gets truncated. I think that's I what the owners want. I would say I don't something... think they have the cojones. I could say cojones on a family show yeah. and to lose a paycheck and to in the middle of a pandemic to actually be on the front of the page fighting like it's 1995 it's all over again. He are okay. nightmare for both sides. If they miss any sort of time, baseball is not where it is nationally, you know, 40 hell. It's not even where it was nationally in 94 with strike. Sure. They are playing with fire. I think they know that that it was a disaster two years ago with the whole thing where they couldn't even come to some sort of an agreement to start the shortened season during the pandemic. They're playing with fire. I would say the drop dead date for no interruptions is probably the first week of March. So let's keep our fingers crossed. That happens even before then. Buddy, go enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks so much for everything. All righty. Michael, thank you as always, bud. Be good. All right. Take care, Dan. Be well. That's Dan Grassa. Dan Grassa. ESPN 98.7, Mad Dog Radio, MLB Network. Great stuff. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, final thoughts. So I thought Dan Grassa brought up some interesting uh, things to talk about. I mean, he's a Wagner supporter, it looks like. I might be in the minority on that. I think uh, to really put a bow on all this, I think that there's, there is a danger, and this is also with the Veterans Committee, that you could uh, you could be going into the hall of very good territory when you start to see a lot of the 90s you know, steroid guys, the others that got into the Hall of Fame, clearly the elite guys that played from 1990 to you know maybe 2005, they're all falling off the ballot now because they've either been elected or they uh, they fell off like Bonds and Clemens will uh, undoubtedly. You know, you got Andrew Jones, and you've got, I mean, I think Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer, but I, I don't think it's a shoe-in. So it will be interesting over the uh, the coming years. And then next year, 
the whole Carlos Beltran conversation comes up again. I, I forgot that he was up, and I, I was looking at it through um, one of the breaks, and I'm sure the conversation about his short tenure as a manager in the offseason will come up. I don't know if he'll get a job in baseball before then. Obviously, Mets fans have always going back to his first season in a Mets uniform when he struggled, had a arm's-length relationship with Beltran. So his Hall of Fame candidacy will be a huge topic next year, and I don't have a. I don't want to even talk about it right now because I, 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 I. Well, the fact that I don't say yes goes back to what I said initially at the beginning of the program when it was like, "Hey, really, Hall of Famer should be like boom, like that." And we can't say that about a lot of the conversation we've had over the last month: Gil Hodges, Keith Hernandez, even some of the Vets Committee guys like Jim Cott. I, you know, they're just not. So, but to me, the biggest thing I want you guys to take away on this program, our Hall of Fame ballot program, is all those steroid guys, if they had stayed the player that they were at the beginning of their career, and everybody ages, you know, stolen bases, defense, all those things start to wane as you hit 30 and north. But the game did change. There was less of a value on those things. But today, even in this crazy game that just seems to value strikeouts and home runs, the more complete player that A-Rod and Bonds were, that's a, a, a tremendous Hall of Famer. Not that they're not. I mean, think about it. A guy like Bonds who could be Ricky Henderson or middle of the lineup hitter uh, could steal th- could do 30-30 every year. And A-Rod, who could do 40-40, and maybe lead the league in batting. It'd be triple crown guy at shortstop. I mean, he wasn't a wasn't the best defensive shortstop, but he was a good, solid defensive shortstop. And I'm sure if he put his mind to it, he could be a gold glover. Maybe size was a little bit big for the position, but that's another story for another day. So that's what I leave you with. That's my Hall of Fame ballot. One more time, in case you, you know, want to hear it one more time. David Ortiz, who I believe will be elected on Tuesday. Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, Kurt Schilling, Scott Rowland, Jeff Kent, and Gary Sheffield. No Billy Wagner, no Todd Helton, no Andy Pettit, no Andrew Jones, no Omar Vizquel, and no Sammy Sosa. So that's the Mike Silva Talking Mets Hall of Fame ballot. And look, uh, what's next? Well, guys, you know, we're in the midst of this lockout. Uh, I don't know how deep I want to get into doing a segment about the lockout, but I think that's important. I know that we touched a little bit on trading Jeff McNeil and Josh Hader and what the Mets can do. I think we know what the Mets need to do when the lockout is done. But when that happens, I don't know. I do know it will be a crazy frenzy when this thing finally comes to a head and it gets resolved because you have a bunch of players sitting out there that are going to need jobs. They're going to need them quick. And I do believe we'll miss maybe not March spring training, but I think pitchers and catchers is certainly in jeopardy. I do not believe we're going to miss the season, but uh, the next couple of weeks will be very telling. I know the, the, the Players Association has a counteroffer this week, so we'll see where that goes. And that, that will be telling. You know how, how do the owners take it, and is it tabled, or is it laughed at, or is it preposterous? And if that's the case, then buckle up. We, we may have to rethink some things. And uh, that, that really stinks because there's a lot of optimism around these parts with the Mets, and it's almost like this, this optimism was put on hold or put in the closet until the uh, the business of baseball was or is resolved. So anyway, want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, I want to thank Dan Grassa. Check him out 
over at the MLB Network Radio, Mad Dog Radio, Baseball Night in New York. And hey, if you're a Jets fan, you can check him out on the radio and content hosts uh, for the Jets. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter, at Dan Grasso. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And I want to thank the good folks over at the Fan Sided Podcasting Network and the good folks over at risingapple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the Hall of Fame announcement. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. You sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.